Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. Welcome along to the second episode of Cuisine Bites. I'm Kelly Brett, Cuisine Magazine Editor, and over the next 30 minutes or so, I'll bring you a whole bunch of people that are all working hard to develop that unique New Zealand flavour that's putting us on the global map when it comes to telling premium food and drink stories. My special guest today is a past president of Food Writers New Zealand, the food columnist for the New Zealand Listener magazine, and an internationally respected food and drink writer and author. She's fiercely passionate about New Zealand food and in particular the promotion of regional food and artisan producers. You need to go back to the ingredients and ingredients have always been important but at this particular time I don't think they've ever been so important as to know where those ingredients have come from. Lorraine Jacobs joins us in just a few minutes. First up, a few little crispy bits with regards to some New Zealand food and drink news. Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. Ferment Festival Auckland is coming up on the 23rd and 24th of March, an event for the little guys run by the little guys that festival organiser Connell Finlay promises will have you fizzing with excitement. Well, as we've already got some of the absolute top artisan producers from around the country coming to show off everything from bean-to-bar chocolates, coconut yoghurt, NZ-only sake, chilli and lime ginger beers, sparkling mead, fermented pesto, champagne-fermented ciders, orange wines, manuka honey vinegars, and literally just so much more. The workshops that we've got organised, though, are already selling really quick thanks to the incredible talent that we've got lined up there. Isabel from Bread and Butter Bakery, for instance, who did her master's degree in gut bacteria back in Germany, is a surefire standout, though, with her sourdough class. But that said, we've also got beer and chocolate pairing, in-depth cheese, kombucha, cured meat, classes. Oh, and how could we forget the amazing Tanner Dowdle, who once cooked for the Dalai Lama, who's going to be showing off the diversity of fermented veggies in cooking. Me, personally, though, I'm excited just to sit down for a few seconds that would be a nice change with a few other foodies and share some fermentation stories over a cheese platter with a glass kombucha in hand. Ferment Festival Auckland runs Saturday 23rd and Sunday 24th of March in the cloud, 10 to 4pm both days. Head over to ferment.co.nz for more info. Crispy Bits. Visa Wellington on a Plate is shaping up to be bigger and better than ever this year and Festival Director Sarah Meekle wants to fill you in on why you will need a large pair of stretchy pants to attend New Zealand's biggest culinary extravaganza this August. It's really exciting. We've um, made the decision with Visa Wellington on a Plate 2019 to extend from 17 days to the full month. So we'll start on the 1st of August and run through to the 31st of August. And it means we've got five weekends and that's really good uh, real estate people want to run a festival events over those weekends so five weeks of festival events we'll have for two weeks of Dine Wellington which is our restaurant program and then we'll have two weeks of Burger Wellington which is uh, burger mania shall we say great opportunity for people to have a bit more time to enjoy the festival we've had people giving us feedback for years that they want it longer so their prayers are answered Sounds like a trip to Welly this August for Visa Wellington on a Plate needs to be on your radar. Easily one of the best food festivals in New Zealand. So for more info, go to visawoap.com. Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. 
And the Plate of Origin competition is underway until the 16th of March. It's an incredible competition that pairs chefs from the Manawatu region with top chefs from around the country to design a dish using hero ingredients from each chef's region. Now I had the pleasure of visiting the chefs in their kitchens as they got together to design their dish. Excuse the sound quality, it's impossible to find a restaurant kitchen that doesn't have a great deal of background noise going on. <laughs> we like to be authentic on Cuisine Bites. Here's a little teaser for you from the 16 incredibly talented New Zealand chefs competing. A few of the tastes and textures that will be making mouths water on participating Manawatu restaurant menus over the next few weeks. New Zealand flavour. Dexter Gayaza from Le Patio teamed up with Fleur Sullivan from Fleur's Place in Meraki. Um, we use the Manawatu um, lamb rack with um, um, Fleur's harvested uh, seaweed sea salt and um, with goat curd, beetroot gel and the dry eel. So the, the local products are normally um, kept in Wanganui um, on the small farm five minutes away, I think. And I, I didn't know what to bring that, um, I didn't want to bring a crayfish or a shellfish or I couldn't just see shellfish going with lamb. And I thought, well, maybe the eel, we can do something um, modern with the, la- with, the, with the conga eel. And the conga eel is um, not the most attractive fish swimming in the ocean for the fishermen to catch. They're really, really disappointed when they get them in their crayfish pots or cod pots. And so they used to just um, release like hell <laughs> kill and release <laughs> and um, they brought them in to show me and so I love every single one that I get Little Savannah's Chloe Woodham teamed up with Chillingworth Road's Darren Wright Christchurch That's the Barris Bay Cheese Factory around three bays over from where I live when we had the restaurant in Akarol it was a cheese that we used all the time it was, you know, it's that whole local um, element that, that's kind of special we wanted to use something that would complement our African theme, which, yeah. For this um, competition and plate of origin, uh, it's really important that we actually showcase what Chloe's doing here in her region. The ostrich probably, it's the focal point of our plate. Craig Robinson at Aberdeen on Broadway teamed up with Matt Hay from Postbank, Taronga. Down some locally sourced macadamia nuts, um, which are grown up in Kitty. Yeah, the orchard sort of backs onto the Taronga Harbour. It's just simplicity, it's just literally just some macadamia nuts, you know, so no one's getting, yeah, carried away with anything too fancy and, and you know. We then put on the, um, the venison loin, um, which is cooked rare. We then fill a little puff pastry sort of pie, um, which has got a braised tail. And then we put on some fermented blueberries. Finish it off with the fa- fragrant cardamom and star anise stew. Janet Gray at The Fat Farmer teamed up with Kyle Street from Culprit in Auckland. We've got some green, green, green tomatoes from Curious Croppers, yeah. and we're using them basically three ways. Yeah. And then the other hero product is the Angus Pure beef from here in Manawatu, from a few different studs, but produced here locally in Manawatu. I was very aware when we were trying to, you know, come up with a dish, is that it has to represent me, but it's something that's going to represent, yeah, represent well. your customers. So secondary yeah. cuts is something we make, we use in a big way. And same with us. So yeah. I think that was quite a good joint thing to do. Mm. Andrew May from Imagine the Restaurant got together with Jeremy Rumaker from Pacifica Restaurant Napier. 
from my end, from Manawatu. Um, there's a farm 12 k's from here, um, producing um, about, I think it was 2,000 um, venison, keeping it local. We're going with seasonality in the dish. Um, we've got a bit of corn, sweet corn going on there. And what ingredient are you using? Um, Harissium, or lion's mane, or the, or the um, Māori red, te piki piki ki ore. But it's, it's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's local ingredient from Hawke's Bay, um, Hillcroft mushrooms. Mm. So I've, I've I've dealt with them for about twelve years now. Mark Harmon at Nosh was teamed with Matt McLean from Pallet. So from my side, we've chosen um, Ikatahuna, um grass-raised beef, using beef cheek and um, beef fillet. For me, like the the highlight, you know, of the dish is the is the beef from Manawatu Two and is a Manawatu Two competition. So. I just wanted to bring some stuff down from my region that, that represents what, what you know what we do. So we've got some lovely ladies um, that uh, have a company called Good Bugs and they're doing a lot of fermented stuff. So they organically grow cabbages and then they do like sauerkrauts and stuff. So we've done a puree of, um, of sauerkraut and, um, and chorizo. Grant Kitchen from Brew Union got together with Sean Clouston from Logan Brown in Wellington. So dish really inspired about um, steak and onions and beer. It's a hot um, or a beer braised um, beef short rib and then um, and we've used the beer that's been, been brewed here called Ripper. A real palmy inspired dish with a little bit of Wellington and obviously beer. Can't go wrong can you really? And Nero Restaurant's Scott Kennedy teamed up with Aaron Ballantyne from Hopgoods in Nelson. Just using your working salmon which is a fantastic top of the south thing but you know they are based in Nelson and it's a fantastic product it's always um, consistent local Nelson urban hippie miso just marinate that overnight and then a really light smoke in the morning and uh, yeah just a nice little sear there just these tomatoes grown by um, a lady called Bettina whose family's been growing tomatoes in uh, Nelson for you know 60-70 years so there's a Isla Capri tomatoes so um, and they've just been marinated in a little bit of um, just a, a sheath of vinegar almost like a Capri salad really but with a polite Japanese touch, really. So, mm. um, the key ingredient from the manor too, we we went with um, Cartwell Creamery, a little boutique cheesemaker up at the Bahongana Valley. Um, so, their first really cheesemaker in this area. So, we got them to make us some goat's curd up. Yeah, fantastic produce, um, locally sourced, and um, you know, it's um, a great thing for the manor too to have these mm. guys in their backyard. New Zealand flavour. Hard to explain just how special this competition is. It's not easy for two chefs to come together from completely different restaurants and environments to agree on just one dish. Head over to plateoforigin.co.nz for more info on participating chefs and restaurants. Cuisine Bites. Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. I'm going to take you back now to when I first arrived just over three years ago to take up the job as editor of Cuisine Magazine. I arrived from Oz knew no one, had no idea about the New Zealand food culture and had inherited a very talented but very nervous team who were wondering who the hell this woman was that was taking over the direction of their beloved cuisine magazine. A few days into my first week, I was invited to an event at Kazuya Restaurant in Auckland. It was a very exclusive event and I was told only the top tier of Auckland's food media would be there. My first public outing. I was petrified. So I walked in, ready to face a barrage of questions about why an Aussie with no knowledge of New Zealand would want to take over New Zealand's treasured and iconic magazine, 
or even worse, no one would take any interest in me at all. I was greeted at reception by Kazuya-san's impeccable staff, turned the corner to the bar, and there they all were. I walked up to the first group of journalists, extended my hand and introduced myself as the new editor of Cuisine. At that word Cuisine, everyone froze. The group parted. I felt a bit like Charlton Heston as Moses contemplating that parting ocean. The journos were all looking along the pathway they'd created for me, toward an elegantly dressed woman with silver hair, holding court at the other end of the room. I heard someone say, have you met Lorraine Jacobs yet? They all seemed to be willing me to walk towards this woman, nodding in her direction and nudging one another. The air was thick with anticipation and aura king canapes. I started that long walk, urged on, almost pushed along by the other journos and editors. God, where was the champagne when you needed one? As I approached, the woman stopped talking and swung around to look me up and down. Are you Lorraine? I asked. She looked me up and down again. I knew full well who she was and I'd been told to be very afraid. So I thought I might as well bite the bullet. My mouth had dried up. I desperately needed a champagne. The Lorraine? The Lorraine, how about that? There's hundreds of Lorraines of my generation. And I said, I'm the new editor of Cuisine. And then I said to you, and I've been told I need to be very scared of you. Oh, that was very funny. And you just went off. And then we became friends straight away. We did. Absolutely, we did. And I have been so grateful to you for everything that you've done for me and the people that you've introduced me to. That day, you sat down with me and you shared a little bit with me about how hard it had been for you. Uh, leaving cuisine and how much a part of your life cuisine had been because it was a very big part of your life wasn't it? 22 years I wrote for cuisine. Um, I started in the very first year I wasn't in the first four issues but then in the fifth issue I think it was I did a restaurant review and interestingly enough Kelly it was an Australian restaurant that I reviewed first of all it was the wonderful Francois in Melbourne and I did a review and it was very new in those days and, um, you know, I think I really loved restaurant reviewing. That was a very, has been very much one of the highlights of my food writing career. But it's very nice to know that I gave it a good review and it's still going now. <laughs> wow. And not many restaurants can say that. No, and I don't think it was really because of my review. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good start, though. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about those days? Because it must have been, as you said, about four or five issues in and you yeah. joined the cuisine team. And... It's quite a different scene in those days, wasn't it? Well, it was because I think if you can go back and find historic, find the, probably it's a historic piece of literature now, the very first issue of Cuisine, and it was started by uh, two guys, and they employed Julie Dalzell as the editor, and I think by about the fourth or fifth issue, they decided that they were going to decamp and leave her, and she then had to turn around and, and kind of decide that she was going to continue it. And... The very first two issues were probably written by Annabel Langbein and Annabel Langbein and Annabel Langbein and Annabel Langbein because she was kind of our very first food writer. But uh, Julie was a very shrewd editor. Uh, it was a very interesting time to write because Julie did manage to buy the magazine and keep it going. And in fact, she took it to huge heights um, mm. because she was very lucky. She was the first one through the door. There was no competition. No. There absolutely was competition. There'd been a couple of little 
sort of shots at having food magazines before that, but none of them had lasted. And I mean, Julie wasn't really a food person. She liked wine, but she wasn't really a food person. But she could see that the whole situation was changing, and she really led that very, very well. And so over the first 10 years, she brought a lot of really top people on board. And in fact, if you have a look at the historical, um, if you have a look at the historical list of who wrote there, just about anyone who you would admire as a food writer in New Zealand, um, in the sort of, I would say, kind of more working in the upper end of the food, not in what's for the dinner premium, tonight so yep. much, but the premium, premium, a good word, Kelly. You know, there was Annabelle Langbein and there was Julie Buso and there was Joe Seeger and there was Penny Oliver and there was a guy called Vic Williams and, you know, that was formed the basis for a terrific team. And then um, probably about 30 or 40 issues in, the place to eat became Metropole Restaurant and the chef there was Ray McVinney. And Julie used to lunch at Metropole most days. And so she brought Ray McVinney on as a food writer. Ray hadn't been a food writer before that either. So, you know, he, Julie was responsible for giving a, a lot of us a really good break. And then, you know, people fell by the wayside. Other people came on through the years. As they do. Very yes. interesting. I mean, you know, I was there for 22 years and I absolutely loved the job. Started off doing that one review, as I said, but then I ended up being joint food editor with Ray for a long time. And uh, an editor came in who will remain nameless at this stage. And he and I didn't really get on because I saw the moment he walked through the door that he really didn't know anything about food. He really didn't know anything about wine. He really didn't know a lot about writing, but he was quite a beautiful kind of stylist and could put things together, came more or less from the art and design world, which was very sad for both William Chen and myself because we didn't really get on with him. And William was the art director. And William was the wonderful art director that was responsible for so many years of cuisine looking absolutely smashing. Mm, mm. And so that was kind of the end and I, um, they let me go. And it actually broke my heart. In fact, I was in grief for about six months. I couldn't even read a book. I was so shocked because it was so much part of my life. It's hard, isn't it? So when I arrived, uh, as I said, I was warned. Everybody said, oh, Lorraine, you know, be careful of Lorraine. And I was told that you were very bitter about cuisine. And yet when I met you, you were so welcoming and so generous with your time. And, and I can understand why people might have had that impression, but I can also understand from your point of view that it, if something's been such a big part of your life and mm. then suddenly that's taken away from you, it's... Well, it takes time to get over any sort of grief, and but I don't actually think that that's correct, that I was really bitter about it, mm. um, because, you know, that I wouldn't hold a grudge or anything. I mean, luckily, that editor that got rid of us only lasted a year at Cuisine anyway. The whole thing about that period is that it was just the most glorious period, and I was always happy to do anything at Cuisine, and then I ended up writing most of Cuisine Wine Country, which was a fantastic publication. There are two things that were really quite significant, was writing Cuisine Wine Country, and also there was a sort of interim period after Julie left when we actually did have a couple of other editors, and at one stage, one of the kind of acting editors who was a, Fair, a Fairfax editor came in, and she said, I think we should start a Cuisine Restaurant of the Year, and Lorraine, I think you're the person to do it. And so 
because I knew everything about New Zealand through wine country, I knew where all the good restaurants were, I was connected with the communities, and it was a terrific opportunity to then be able to put spotlight on where the really good places were to eat in the country, and, uh, and to give them the accolades they deserve. And I still very much feel that that's really a very important part of what you do, Kelly, is to be able to point people in the direction of the restaurants that are really doing it best. Mm. I mean, no restaurant ever sets out to do a bad job, but there are certainly some restaurants that just do it way better than everybody else. So you are now writing for The Listener, which is a fantastic magazine. And you, oh, thank you. you've got a number of books under your belt. The last one was called Always Delicious, which is sitting on my kitchen bench at the moment, and I love it. Why will a good cookbook never die, Lorraine? There's always gonna be room for a new cookbook, if it's good. And I think one of the most important things about cookbooks is that some of the later cookbooks have come out and they are, they're contemporary. You know, they're contemporary in a way that you want the food in your magazine to be contemporary. We can still go back a long way and have a look at people who were totally contemporary in their time. I mean, you can pick up an Elizabeth David cookbook now that was written 70 years ago, and it's still in a funny sort of a way, contemporary. Um, but because food changes and food changes all the time, a little bit like language, um, I think it's important that we keep on providing people with recipes. I mean, there are a lot of people around the world now that go to the internet for their recipes. And that for me is, it's really a shame that they do that because it's fraught with a lot of difficulties. Whether somebody tested that recipe, whether someone had ripped it off from somewhere else and just changed one or two ingredients, how authentic is it? And what is the voice behind it? And you don't really see the stories behind recipes on the internet either. So how have you evolved, Lorraine? What's changed for you in the way that you approach your food writing now? I think there's more words and uh, I think there's less complexity. Right now I'm thinking about the way I write recipes and because of people that might be inclined to not be able to see their way through a recipe, not look at the recipe, hey that is a little warning like there are two tablespoons of chilli. I'm trying very, much, very hard in my recipe writing now to kind of explain why you do things. So it just doesn't say cook until golden. Um, or for example, a, a very good example would be when you're gonna use red onions in a salad. And if you put them in cold water, ice cold water, for about one or two minutes, up to 10 minutes before you put them on the salad, they become a lot sweeter. So I would never just put slice the red onions and put them over the salad. I would say slice the red onions, put them in a bowl of cold water, and then I'll add, and the reason you're doing this is they're going to be a lot sweeter when they go on. Mm. And so I think that- Those little extra I think things. it's really important. If someone's gonna take the time to read one of my recipes, I think they deserve to know exactly why things are being done. But I also, on the other hand, am trying to write much more simply. I mean, it's no accident that the best-selling book of 2018 was Otto Lenghi's Simple. And actually, Otto Lenghi didn't actually write that book. Of course, it's got his stamp all over it, but he has two assistant chefs who had done it, and they were much more home cooks. Mm. And they know that you can't necessarily have 63 ingredients in your fridge or this technique or an hour to prepare. And so the simple is actually very simple. And I've actually cooked a couple of things from it. One I didn't like so much, but the other things have been wonderful. Mm, it did really well, that book, didn't it? Mm. Why do they say 
need until elastic? That's always annoyed me. What does I elastic know, mean? Do it's you mean something like, to do with your knickers. I do, the, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it like the old elastic in your knickers or the one in your hairband? Or I know. Is it, it's I like mean, I think probably it would be far better to say, knead the dough until it seems to be quite stretchy. Because elastic is like, what is it? An yeah, elastic a band? Shot. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, I think, so we need to think those sorts of things through. And um, the language of recipe writing is changing. Mm. And um, one of the other things that I think is kind of interesting right at this particular time is that publications don't have a lot of money to spend on their writers. And yet you need to have writers writing food that, have re that really understand food. And, in other words, they really need to be cooks first. I mean, we love the printed word, we love it when as good journalism's gone into a story. But if those are recipes, you really need the passion that comes from being a cook and always a cook. Surely a publication is not going to have somebody developing recipes that can't cook. <laughs> One would hope not, but I mean, you know, there's an awful lot of, in, and I mean, this is why would cuisine is going to stand yeah. up, but, you know, as, as a terrific example of a very, very good food magazine, because you're going to make sure that that exactly happens, mm. that it is a very good, you know, it's a well-tested, well-thought-out recipe produced by a cook. What do you think are the issues for 2019 that you're going to be championing, Lorraine? Well, I'm going to be championing what I was championing in 2018 and probably 2017. It's becoming blatantly obvious that we need to develop, we know that not develop so much as we need to encourage more people to think about exactly what it is that they are putting into their mouths. You need to go back to the ingredients and we've, ingredients have always been important, but at this particular time, I don't think they've ever been so important as to know where those ingredients have come from, to know how they were treated. So if we're going to eat meat, and let's hope we are going to eat, keep on eating meat, um, we need to know that the animals were treated kindly, that were humanely killed, and that were, everything was done with love. If they're vegetables, the same thing. I mean, do vegetables have feelings? They might. So let's treat them the same way too. Let's think about that. And of course, the other thing is that I think we've never been more aware in 2018 and we've become even more aware in 2019 of not wasting food at all. Um, you know, when we were little, what did our parents used to say? Think of the starving people in Africa. And, you know, we used to all look around oh, and see gosh, yes. they were probably going to be looking in the window if we weren't careful. I don't think it's that anymore. I think it's much more about only taking what you need and then using it really carefully. And, you know, in the past two years, I have a husband who doesn't really like leftovers. And now I will never tell him that there's any leftovers there. And he goes, this is jolly good. And I go, yeah, thanks. And I never bothered to tell him that it was last night's meat now made into something else. Reinvented it's into really something else. It's really important, yeah, you know. Yeah. What about the value of, uh, or not so much the value of food, we know what the value of food is, but it's the, that perception of value by the average person. That worries me when I go around the country and I speak to chefs and restaurants who tell me they haven't put their prices up for many mm. years because the consumer won't wear it. Well, that's going to be our job, isn't it? Mm. To tell those people that if you want good food, you have to pay for it and you have to pay more for it. And I mean, I've gotten to awful lot of trouble in the past by saying when people say, oh, you know, look at the price of New Zealand butter. But, you know, this is a, we're part of the world like it. You've got to face that, that you we are part of 
a growing world with a food and a, and a food distribution system that goes right across the world. So if our butter is produced in Taranaki and it then exported to the United States, apart from the added cost of the traveling it there, of it, it actually being sent there, the price of butter shouldn't be any different apart from transport costs mm. because that's the price of butter. And that's the way it is. And we've just got to learn that if it's a really premium product, we can expect to pay a premium in New Zealand because we're expecting to get a premium overseas. And how good is the butter? I mean, the dairy here, the butter, the ice cream, the cheese. I couldn't believe it when I got here and found out how good it was. It's just... Well, cheese. Now, that's a very interesting thing. Both cheese and ice cream that you've said. I mean, we take butter for granted, I think. We do tend to take butter for granted. But cheese and ice cream, boy, I've seen the change in that over the period I've been food writing. Mm. Probably 30 years ago, we used to have ads here on television that promoted a bigger block of cheese. And so that was the way you got people to go and buy more cheese was to buy this big one kilogram block of cheese, which you had in your fridge. But now the artisan cheese producers, goat cheese, milk cheese, we're even having deer milk now, which is really exciting. That's really a really exciting, exciting product. Mm. Yeah, mm. and so those cheeses are fabulous. And it's, it might as well say the same thing about ice cream. I mean, the choices of ice cream. Still love that tip-top hokey-pokey, but my goodness, I mean, I have see beautiful ice creams from Southland, ice creams oh, from Wellington. Nelson. Wellington, everywhere. Duck Island, some of them, they're just amazing, aren't they? Absolutely amazing. What chefs are you watching? Who are the bright young stars at the moment that you've got an eye on? Um, I'm, well, I'm watching some chefs, but I actually think that what's been kind of interesting thing is to see some chefs who aren't quite so young, but who have actually started their own restaurants after being in group restaurants. Like I'm loving Stuart Rogan's food down at Hello Beastie. He was the chef at... Uh, White and Wong's. Well, he wasn't just White and Wong's. He, he was the executive chef for the whole of the good the group. group. Yeah. And the other person who I think is doing a terrific job over um, is to see Glenn File, who's come out of the kitchen of the group of restaurants that's sort of with associated with Ben Bailey and Michael Diath. And he's opened the Grange over there at Smales Farm. And I loved the food there too. So I think both of those restaurants are food where you wouldn't, expect to go in and order an entree and then a main and maybe have a pudding. They're definitely plates for sharing, they're interesting food, they're priced, you know, all sorts all over the place, but really totally delicious. And I mean, it was really interesting to see Glenn Files even got his own little glass house in the middle of an industrial complex. And I mean, I'm really loving that whole sustainability thing. I mean, as you know, I edited Truth, Love and Clean Cutlery last year, just the, just the New Zealand section. And it was very exciting having to choose, and quite a hard job too, mm. to n- nail it for just 15 restaurants that are doing a, the sustainable thing around New Zealand. Because many restaurants use that word sustainability, don't they? But they're not really... No, and even in Truth, Love and Clean Cutlery, none of them, apart from maybe Pasture and um, Alicia Bilbra Collins done in Christchurch, at Bear Lion, those two would be the most sustainable restaurants in New Zealand by 100 miles, possibly backed up by a little bread maker in K Road, Fort Green. 
But the others all are places where first it's got to be delicious, but secondly they do have to have a very good sustainable policy. So they have to think about community, they have to make sure they don't waste, they have to be totally in tune with where they find all their food, that it has been produced sustainably too. And not all those restaurants tick every single box, oh and maybe go and do a little foraging, but it always worries me, Kelly, when people talk about foraging as being an art, because if every restaurant went out in New Zealand and foraged, there wouldn't be anything left for anybody. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit like, if we wanted to talk about fish, that's an interesting story too. I mean, it's fine for sustainable restaurants to go and get their fish from the one fisherman that's catching in the area, but what about the people down the road that really want their fish and chips? I mean, we have to have a fishing quota system and we have to make that work. That's a bigger conversation than you and I can ever tackle on our own, no. isn't it? It's a really hard one and something that we, uh, I'm looking at as well for cuisine because if we're encouraging people to cook seafood, then we have to be encouraging them to cook it and be able to make an informed choice about using the right fish and the right yeah. shellfish. But it's not that easy. It's a minefield out there. It's so confusing. It's, yes, and I'm looking forward to seeing this new... Um, the revamping of the um, fishing... What, what do you call it? It's the seafood place down at the bottom of Auckland on the harbour there. Oh, the fish market? The fish market. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to go and have a look at that. Apparently there's eight different food outlets, so you can choose what you want to do, and there's all the fish that you ever wanted. So I hope they're telling some stories behind it and not making them up. I hope so, and it's a lot, been a long time coming. I was very disappointed in the Auckland fish market when I first got mm -hmm. here. I thought it could have been so much more. Well, thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure uh, having a little chat to you and, um, and I'm just awfully glad that I did run into you in that French Embassy event <laughs> in that first week in, when I arrived in Auckland. Was that your very first week? My very first week. Oh, well, so, I'm, not, I'm not really scary. So I got Lorraine Jacobs over and done with in the first week. It, you know, how hard can it be? And she's not bitter either, is she? <laughs> Well, that little chat hardly touched the surface of the immense knowledge that Lorraine Jacobs has with regards to the New Zealand food culture. So thanks, Madge. That's short for Her Majesty, in case you ever hear me call Lorraine Madge. You can find out more about Lorraine at lorrainejacobs.co.nz. Our beautiful March issue is on shelves now, so look out for the Gremolata crumbed calamari and anchovy tartare on the cover, a legendary recipe stolen from Wellington restaurant Bolcott Street Bistro. It's a winner. You can follow us on social by searching Cuisine Magazine and you can find our recipes at cuisine.co.nz. Do remember to cook and eat well and I hope you'll meet me back here for the next episode of Cuisine Bites. Hey, listen, do you think people are scared to invite you around for dinner? Um, no, because I really always tell people, I'm quite happy to say people, look, please, we'll come to dinner Nobody's going to do any judging. And in fact, this week we went to someone's house and she cooked all the recipes from my latest book, Always Delicious. Now, what a huge compliment that is to anyone. That's wonderful. How wonderful is that? Yeah. Just fantastic.